I was um, a senior minister for 16 years in Memphis, Tennessee, with a wonderful church there, and we loved it, loved the people. Just really felt called to come here. It's a long story, and I won't go into the great, the long story. But uh, on on August the 21st, 2004, um, I am driving my stuff here by myself. Danita and I decided that we would leave the kids and all of them in Memphis until we sold the house. And it sounded like a really good idea around the kitchen table. Uh, it took six months. And so here I come by myself on August 21st, 2004, and I drive here. And a, a, church, a church family, they were very, very kind and gracious. They put me up on the 17th floor of a penthouse on Clearwater Beach, which is really good. I know you don't feel sorry for me, but I was, but I was alone. I was all by myself. And so here I am on the 17th floor. It's called the 440, just where the Adams Mark used to be uh, next to it. And there I am for six months. And Danita and I had never been apart for more than a week. And I like my wife. And I like my kids. And so... I'm going, what is up with this? And so here I am, six months down here. The house in Memphis hasn't sold yet. I'm not sure we would do that the same way again. We'd probably bring everybody together. But our plans were we'd sell the house there and just buy here and just make one move. One move from Memphis, one move here to Florida. It was a really good idea, first day. Six months, you know, took a long, long time. About the fourth month into this, you know, I, I was about to snap. And so God and I had a real long conversation about this. I'm not real proud of this conversation, but I bet you've had a conversation somewhat like this yourself. I had a morning routine. I would jog two miles down. I would start almost the Clearwater, the Pier 60, and go almost down to Carlewell. Do you know where those two points are? You know where the Clearwater? Okay, and then Carlewell. So I would do two miles down, two miles back. But every night was my prayer time. And every night about nine o'clock, I would go out of my condo and I would walk at night and I would be praying to God. And I can remember about four and a half months into this, the prayer went something like this. I don't think anybody was around me, at least I hope not. If people were around me, I'm sure they scattered because the psycho had gotten off the 13th floor somewhere and he was on the beach and it was me, okay? And, And I remember my prayer to God. God, do you see what's going on here? Do, do you see what's happening? I, you move me to Safety Harbor. You move me to Florida. I'm your boy. I'm your preacher. I'm your man. I, I, I like my wife. I, in fact, I love my wife. I, I love all three of my children. And then you, how you know when you kind of get desperate, you start kind of like bargaining with God, Right? You start kind of like telling God things that maybe he doesn't know about you, okay, because you're desperate. You know, God, you know, not every other man likes his wife, but I do. I want to be with my wife. God, not every other man likes his kids. I love my kids. God, can you see what's going on here? Sell my house. Get my family together. I'm a family man. I want you to help me. I'm begging you to step in. And here I am out at, you know, 9.30 at night, somewhere almost to Carlywell, on the beach, crying out to God, hey, God, do you really see what's going on here? And do you hear me? Do you hear my prayers? Where are you, God? Now, 
If you've been a believer for more than 10 days, you've probably had those same kind of thoughts. At least a few of you would be willing maybe to to admit that. And we've asked God because of our circumstances, do you see what's going on? If you're female, I'm a good woman. I'm a good mom. I'm a good wife. If you're a guy, I'm a hard worker. I pay tithes. I, I pray. I teach third graders. God, where are you? I want you dialed in on my deal. How come I'm going through this? And so you begin to ask God these questions. Do you see what's going on in my life? We began teaching small groups, and our small group was high schoolers, and our high school small group actually met in our home, and it grew pretty rapidly, and so we needed another, another couple that would help partner with us. And so uh, Laney Sandridge, they now live in Orlando, he was an elder here for a while, but Laney was here, and she said, you know what, I would really like to do, do the high schoolers, and so I asked her and Glenn to join us, and Glenn was like, what? I didn't sign up for this. And after about the second time, Glenn was dialed in. We did it for like five years together. But I remember that Glenn and I were getting ready to do the walk uh, over at Countryside for the New Life Solutions on Mother's Day weekend. And we were getting ready to walk the, the walk that day to help raise money for New Life Solutions. And Glenn told me, he said, Laney's not coming to church tomorrow. I said, why not? He said, well, because it's Mother's Day. What you have to understand is Laney and Glenn couldn't get pregnant. She couldn't conceive. They went through every test, every medical doctor. They went through everything you could ever imagine. And for whatever reason, Glenn and Laney could not get pregnant. And so she was so worried that on Mother's Day, I was going to talk just to moms and make all the moms stand up and give all the mom corsages and who's the youngest mother and who's the oldest mother and who doesn't want to be a mother anymore. I mean, I don't know what she, but, but, but she was so concerned that I was going to ask those questions. I, I called her up. I said, Laney, you are, I had a good relationship with her. I said, Laney, you are going to church tomorrow. And I'm not talking about that. On Mother's Day, I talk to women. I don't, I don't talk to just moms. I talk, I talk to women on Mother's Day. I learned long ago that for some of you in this room, this is one of the most painful days of the entire year. You've lost your mom, or you've lost a child, or you've had a heart-rendering family situation. I've learned a long time ago in Memphis that this day is a great day for a whole lot of you. It is a horrible day for some others of you. I said, Lanny, you are going to church tomorrow. I'll see you at 9 o'clock. Every one of us in this room have asked ourselves this question, and we've asked this question to God. God, do you see my deal? Do you understand my concerns? I've asked you. I've prayed for you. I'm a prayer. I'm a tither. I'm a faster. I serve. I teach. I love. I care. I help. I assist. God, I need you involved in my life. And so the question this morning is, does God see your deal? Does God see your life? And does God hear your prayers? Well, if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 16. We pick up our our story this morning. Here's a lady who's going through a, a lot of difficulty, a lot of turmoil. Her name is Hagar. Say that with me. Hagar, probably not a household name, probably not a story that you read this morning on the way to church, but if you've got a phone or an iPad or a Bible, whatever, flip or dial or get there, get to Genesis chapter 16. 
In Genesis chapter 16, we pick up the story of our main character this morning, a woman by the name of Hagar. Here we go. Genesis 16, 1. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, we'll know them in just a couple chapters as Abraham and Sarah because God changed their names. But Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Now, at this point, you've got to realize that a shortcut is coming, right? You read that story and you go, all right, Abram's wife... Sarah has not any children, and in that culture, they didn't have the medical technology. In that culture, they didn't understand that just because you couldn't have a child or you couldn't conceive, it didn't mean that something was wrong with you or that God had withdrawn his hand from you. We understand medically a whole lot different, but they didn't understand that in that culture. And so she'd born in no children, but she had an Egyptian slave. So Hagar is described in chapter 16, verse 1, as an Egyptian slave. Can't you smell a shortcut coming? Now, I'm sure shortcuts are good somewhere. I just can't think of any. I can't think of where a shortcut would be good. Shortcuts are never good medically. Shortcuts are never good nutritionally. Shortcuts are never good with exercise. Shortcuts are never good with money, with marriage, with children. I'm, I'm sure a shortcut's good somewhere this past week with the life of me. I just can't think of where it would be good. Here's a shortcut. The shortcut is coming. And so what, what Sarah's going to do is Sarah's going to take matters into her own hands. You see, she realizes that she cannot conceive any longer. She couldn't in the first place, but now she's too old. Her factory, I don't know how else to say this, her factory shut down, okay? There's a gate lock on it. It's not going to happen. She's too old. But she recognizes that her husband Abraham is still able to father a child. Now, in this story, Abraham is 85 years old. When God, when, when Abraham was 75... God came to Abraham and he said, look, if you will follow me, I will make you into a great nation. And you will have so many descendants. These descendants will be like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Ten years have gone by and and, and how's Abraham going to have all these descendants when he doesn't have a single kid? And so Sarah takes matters into her own hands and she says, all right, let's get the party started. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you my handmaid, my handmaid Hagar. And I tell you, it just messed everything up. Let me just ask you a question. Have you ever tried to speed God up? How well did that work out for you? But I want to say this, not all of God's delays, look at the next slide, are necessarily God's denials. Not, not all of God's delays in your life are necessarily God's denials. And this wasn't, this wasn't a denial. This was just a delay. And you know what God was waiting for? God was waiting for Abraham to be 99 years old. And he's waiting for Sarah to be 90. And so God would get incredible glory when he allows a 99-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman to conceive and have a son. And he would be Isaac. And he would be one of the great patriarchs of the Jewish covenant. And so she takes matters into her own hands. She messes everything up. And we got problems. Look at chapter 16 and look at verse 2. Chapter 16, verse 2. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abraham, and Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. Well, of course he did. 
Hello. This is, this is funny. Let me get this straight, Sarah. You want me to do what? Okay. I'll just be a dutiful, obedient husband. I'll take one for the team here. This is hilarious. Look at verse 3. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, 75 when God came to him, he's now 85 years old. He can still father a child. She cannot. So Sarah, his wife, took her, her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and she gave her to her husband to be his wife. Verse 4. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. And when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Now we see that Hagar gets all puffed up. Hagar knew, everybody in the camp knew that there was going to be a great nation go through Abraham. And so Hagar's thinking, wow, this is so cool. My son's going to be a patriarch. My son Ishmael is going to be one of the chosen. Oh my goodness, this is like too good to be true. Look at verse 5. Then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I'm going to leave that alone. (laughs) This isn't a marriage class. We're just going to talk to mom. I put my slave in your arms. And now, (laughs) it's your fault, Abraham. I put my slave in your arms. And now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. In other words, big boy, you got to pick. You pick her, you pick me, you mess this thing up. Look at verse 6. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar. Now just look at this verse for just a second. Just leave this verse up here for just a second. You see, what happens is all of a sudden because of this mess, because we took things into our own hands, we got our normal problems. Number one, Sarah is uh, blaming, isn't she? Hagar is all cocky and puffed up. And Abraham, where was Abraham? Abraham abdicated his leadership. I'm going to say this again. There's three problems going on. Number one, Sarah is blaming. Number two, Abraham has abdicated his leadership. And number three, Hagar gets all cocky about the deal. Now, in this story, I'm still amazed at Abraham. I know this is Mother's Day, but guys, you're not off the hook yet, okay? I'm still amazed with Abraham. Because Abraham abdicated his spiritual leadership. This is what God made us to do. This is what God made us to be. And Abraham just like checks out. And this is what happens exactly with Adam. Adam is standing right next to Eve when she takes the fruit. Why didn't Adam say, whoa, 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 hold on, babe. Hold on, honey. This ain't happening. No, 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 no. We eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We, we deep six this whole thing. We're in trouble. We leave the garden. This is, we're not doing this. Why didn't Adam, why didn't Abraham, why didn't they stand up? And so guys, our job is to be spiritual leaders. Now what does spiritual leadership look like? What does that mean? Yeah, we are going to church. Yeah, we are praying. Yeah, we are fasting. Yeah, we are giving. Yeah, we are going to teach. Yeah, we do serve. Yeah, we come to church and build houses. Spiritual leadership are guys leaning in. One of our greatest problems today is our guys are leaning out. Guys, your job and my job are to be spiritual leaders in our home, in our church, in our midst. That's how, we are, that's how God wired us. And so in this story, 
In this story, Abraham checks out and has created incredible problems today. And so spiritual leaders are not, you know, we've got the whip out and telling everybody what to do. Spiritual leaders are us humbly serving our families. Spiritual leadership is us saying, yeah, we are. We're, we're going to church. Yeah, we are. We're going to pray. Yeah, we're, we're going we're gonna to do this. No, we're not going to lie, steal, or cheat. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to be honest. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to pray for that crazy pastor. Spiritual leadership is leaning in. It's, it's rising up. And we got incredible. And so she fled. Look at this. So she fled from her. Sarah then mistreats her. And because he mistreats her, she's going to flee and she's going to run away. Look at verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. Look at verse 8. And he said to her, this is what the angel said. The angel says, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? Now, just, just pause for just a second. Anytime God asks a question... He's not asking a question because he's not, seeking, he's not seeking information. God's asking a question because he's trying to get you to think about your situation. You see, the angel of the Lord appears to, to this poor girl who's running away, and where's she going? She's going back home. She's an Egyptian. How do you get to Egypt? You run through the desert. She's running through the desert. And by the way, God's going to let you run, and God's going to let you go through your deserts, and God's going to let you have all kind of... Co- co- complications in your life, but he's still going to come to you. He's going to come to you. I'm out there crying on the beach. God, where are you? Laney's trying to get pregnant. God, how come I can't get pregnant? We've all asked God, do you see my deal? Here she is. She's running away because she's been mistreated. And God's asking her a question. Where are you going? You know, whenever you begin to do things in your life, I'm going to change jobs. God's going to say to you, okay, is that my will for you? I'm going to get in this relationship or I'm going to get out of this relationship. Okay, did, did I lead you there? See, when God asks you a question, God is not asking you a question because he's seeking information. God doesn't seek information. God's asking you a question because he wants you to think about whether or not you've dialed in to what he's trying to get you to do or trying to get you to be. I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she, she answered. Well, now God's going to show up. And I love how God shows up in this story. And so when God shows up, there's always a decision that's required. Now, just think about this for just a minute. Every time God shows up in your life, a decision is required. But we often don't make decisions because we don't know how to go forward with what God has revealed to us. And so we get stuck. And so we just stay in a state of paralysis. So here's what happens in verse 9. Verse 9 says, Then the angel of the Lord told her, it doesn't really even matter what God told her to do, but the fact of the matter is she has to make a decision, just like you. And so every time God comes to you, you have to make a decision. Am I going to go forward? Am I going to go backward? Am I going to buy? Am I going to sell? Am I going to lease? Am I going to go there? Am I going to get out of that? Every time God comes to you, a decision is required. Now, her decision happened to be how to go back to your mistress and how to submit to her. And you know what she's thinking? I don't know how. I don't know how to do this. 
because my mistress Sarah mistreated me. It's just like you and I. Every time God reveals something to us, we get stuck because we don't know how, right? And because we don't know how, we just, we just don't make a decision. So we stay in no man's land, which is a state of indecision. I have a suggestion. My suggestion is this. Every time God reveals for you to do something or to be something or to go forward or to go backwards or to get in or to get out, whatever it is God reveals for you to do, my suggestion is you tell somebody you trust. And when you tell somebody you trust, I think God wants me to do this. I think God wants me to go here. I think God wants me to be this. I think God's telling me to do this. You tell somebody else and you let somebody else that you trust get involved with your life and then they then begin to assist you with the options and the solutions and make suggestions. I I love working with our staff. Our staff is a bright group of people, just incredibly intelligent people on our staff. And so a staff member will come and they'll say, you know what, I think we should do X, Y, or Z, whatever it is, but I'm not really sure how. And then three or four other staff members get involved and begin to brainstorm. And the staff person who came up with the idea and thinks that's what God wants them to do, they may see one option and the other three staff see four options. So here's a decision. She's got to make a decision. What will she do? So verse 10 The angel says, look, if you do this, I'm going to increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. And then there's verse 11, 12, talk all about this. And then verse 13 says this, she's going to do it. She's going to submit. She's going to to be responsible. She's going to do exactly what God tells her to do. And so then here's what Hagar does. This is the only place in scripture where somebody gives a name to God and it sticks. No place else does this happen. All other places in scripture, God reveals himself. I am Jehovah. I am Elohim. I am Yahweh. I am Jehovah Sabbath. I am Jehovah Rapha. Every place else in scripture, God is revealing who he is. Here's an Egyptian handmaid who comes up with a name for God and it sticks in the Holy Scriptures, in the Hebrew Scriptures. And so she gave, she is Hagar, This name to the Lord who spoke to her, and she said, you are the God who sees me. For she says, I have seen the one who sees me. And in Hebrew, this is the word El Roy. Say El Roy. Say El Roy. And El Roy means the God who sees. Say that with me, the God who sees. I want you to learn this name today. I started off talking about, you know, I'm on the beach and I want my family here, and it's been four and a half months, and I'm a good guy, I'm a family man, I'm your preacher. I started off talking about Lainey, and Lainey, you know, wants to be pregnant, she wants to be a mom, they're good people. God, do you see this? Hagar said, I'm going to give a name to God. I didn't think God saw me, I didn't think God understood me, I was being mistreated, I ran away, I'm pregnant. He is the name Elroy. Say, Elroy. He is the God who sees. Now, there's two incredibly dominant themes in this story. Two things that happened to Hagar that I hope happened to you. Number one, God sees Hagar, but Hagar sees God. That's really cool. It's the second one that's most important here. God's got your deal. God sees you. 
God's way ahead of you. God knows you. God understands you. You're crying, stumbling, struggling, going. God is way, way, way ahead of you and ahead of me. God sees you. He is El Roy. He is the God who sees. And so today, I know I'm talking to 51% of the population that are female. And I understand that uh, you have a lot to be fearful about. I understand you're worried, you're concerned, there's anxieties. I understand every woman in this room has some fears, has some concerns, has some, some, some unique circumstances, has some situations where if God doesn't come in and bless and put his hand to favor, I, I, I get that. But I just want to tell every lady in this room, his name is El Roy. And he is the God who sees an Egyptian handmaid running through the desert. He is the God of El Roy. He understands and sees every single woman's concern, issues, problems. God is so far ahead of you. God sees you. He just wants you to see him. The deal is not whether or not God sees you. That's a guarantee. The the, the deal is, do you see God? Will you trust God? And so, again, I, I know that there are all kinds of different problems in this room. There are health problems. There are health issues. Maybe there are conception problems. Maybe you can't get pregnant. My my sister-in-law had five miscarriages, five, before she ever had her first baby, five. And I remember she and I would up in Maryville, Tennessee, we'd go to the movies together and she's crying. I don't have great answers. I don't have an answer for why she keeps having miscarriages. All I could say to her was, is that I know God sees, I know God cares, and I know God can, all that you can do. So again, we're speaking to a group of ladies today. There may be health concerns. You may have all kinds of anxiety concerns or anxiety issues. There may be ladies in this room that are going through some incredible marital problems, some marital struggles. There may may be some of you in this room that are just really, really, you can't sleep, you can't eat, you don't don't know where you're going to go. There's financial issues. I I just want to say to you this morning that his name is El Roy. And El Roy sees you, and El Roy loves you, and El Roy's got you covered. El Roy sees you. He's just asking you to see him. I have a very good friend this morning that I've asked to come out and to share a little bit of her story. Um, This friend of mine is just a wonderful lady, and um, her husband is one of my prayer partners of our church, and I'm going to ask you if you would to welcome uh, Mrs. Jane Stickler right now to the stage. Come over here a little bit. Let's get in the light. Come right here. Put you in the light a little bit more. Here we go. <laughs> Jane is married to Kent. You and Kent have been married for um, 55 years, and uh, you've been a mom. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. <clears throat> and you have been a mom for 54 years. And um, looking at the outside, 
uh, people would say, you guys have had a pretty successful life and a pretty easy life, <laughs> but uh, that's not necessarily true. A uh, lot of different things took place, a lot of different things have happened, and just a couple of years ago, um, they lost their 47-year-old son. Uh, his name was Guy, and it was just a real blow uh, to, uh, to Kent and Jane. Jane, um, tell us a little bit about, first of all, your spiritual background. Tell us about your, your spiritual uh, journey. Um, I come from a Roman Catholic family, and I really had a good experience as a child in that church. Uh, I had a good mom, and one of my fondest memories of my mom is every night at bedtime, she would go to her bed, kneel down, put her elbows on the mattress, fold her hands and pray. And that image was powerful for me through my young faith. And the one thing of the Catholic Church I loved was the attention given to the Trinity. I love the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But until I met that fellow over there in high school, I didn't really have You met him in high school? Junior high, actually. Junior high. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. You're old, aren't you? You know what one of my girlfriends told me? She said, I got a boyfriend for you. He's so cute. And she said, he plays basketball, and his legs are so hairy, they look tan all year long. (laughs) right? (laughs) It's a true story. (laughs) Well, Kent came into my life and made my faith personal. I didn't have that personal relationship. I didn't understand God being, Christ being the Lord of my life. And that's what Kent led me to. And that would basically be my Your background. background. Okay. Mm -hmm. You guys have had a lot of business success. You've been through several different things, but but on the inside, you've had some real struggles. You've lost, you've lost a son. You've lost a good friend. You've lost a, a son-in-law. Um, you've battled with some different things. Tell us about some of your struggles. Probably personally, my biggest struggle all these years that surprises people is fighting depression. And How long have you fought depression? Probably all my life, but didn't know it uh, until I was about 30. And I've been on medication and I have it under control all these years. Uh, years ago, depression wasn't that popular. And some Christians would say, well, how can you have depression if you're a Christian? It has nothing to do with it. It's, it's an illness that comes along, and you learn how to live with it. That's been huge. One of our children was, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, high-functioning autism called Asperger's. That's a huge thing to deal with and uh, ironically the the problems that came along with our family ended up the things that made us stronger it always turned out that way you deal with this you come out stronger mm-hmm. never have had that fail mm-hmm. so you lost in a short two year time tell us about your three big losses <laughs> three of the big losses in September of 09 Unexpectedly, our beautiful son died. There he is. He's a sweetheart. He really is. 47, right? He's 47. And uh, his father, unfortunately, found him at home. 
was a horrible thing to deal with. But what got us through, no doubt, is the Holy Spirit through people, Christian people we love. He was the first one to come to see us. And my best friend of 51 years was second. And those two people that day through the Holy Spirit helped us survive. And uh, anything, any, any survival came through that spirit. And it goes back to my old Catholic background. I love the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I love the scripture on the spirit. Um, I remember one time when he was ill, once in his life, and he was discouraged, and a Lutheran minister came to him and, and showed him some scripture and says, you know, one of the reasons you're going through this, someday you're going to comfort other people because you'll understand. I've had that happen to me many times. So we lost Guy in September of 2009. We lost our son-in-law, the best son-in-law in the world, in October of 10, and then just recently, January 7th, I lost the best friend I ever had uh, to cancer. And in kind of a tribute to them, I tried to think when my son died of one word that would describe him. That's not easy. And I thought and thought, and the word that just popped up was sweet. He had the sweetest parts of his personality. And as a mom, you know, you just eat that up. He was so sweet. My son-in-law, I tried to think of one word. He was magical. He was like a Dr. Doolittle with animals, and I wish I could tell you how magical he was. And then my friend who died recently, the one word for her was spectacular. I couldn't have had a better friend, and you, you know her Phyllis, quite yeah. well. Phyllis, yeah. So those were the three huge things in recent years, and I could say, out of doubt, through the Holy Spirit, Christians that I love and that love me, God got us through it. I don't know how people do this without the Holy Spirit. I really don't. Of all the funerals that I've done, I've never had a mother stand up at her son's funeral and basically for the next 15 or 20 minutes just preach his funeral. Uh, I knew Jane could do this today, but I was so amazed a couple of years ago when she stood up and just talked about her son. And so when I asked her, and I said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about Elroy, the God who sees today. I said, Jane, did, did Elroy get you through all these oh. things? And she was like, oh, yes. No other way. There's no way I could have done this without Elroy. And so I, I want to thank you today for sharing. And uh, we're so glad that you're here. Thanks, Jane. Can I have yeah. one last yeah, thing? absolutely. It's Mother's Day. It's Mother's Day. And... My kids tease me because I save cards they send. And this was the last card I got for my son on Mother's Day. And I told you he was sweet. And I want to close and just share with you what he wrote to me on this card. He says, Mom, it's always such a good feeling when I tell people about how great my mom and dad are. It gives me such a great sense of pride to have a mom who is such a kind and caring, positive inspiration for so many people. I hear so many people talk about strained and fragile marriages and relationships. It's wonderful to have a mom and dad who have become the exception today. Thank you, Mom, for your example of what a parent, wife, and person should really be, love guy. That's why he's sweet. Thank you.